0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to This Is Some Scene. I am James Ippoliti, and I am also the host of the Real Demons of Pop Culture podcast and many more podcasts soon to come. This Is Some Scene was a podcast I produced back in the mid 2000s to about 2009. Season one of This Is Some Scene is going to be those lost interviews interviews with people like Tommy Wiseau, Joe Dante, Amber Benson, Crispin Glover, so many more at the dawn of podcasting. I had a group of people that had a lot of fun doing these podcasts. Now, the quality is not as great as it could be because it was at the beginning of podcasting where it was very hard. It also was recorded live. Most of the calls were live, as you will see, and so the quality is not to the standards of 2023, but they are pretty good for 2008, 2009, etc. You may hear the voices of Andrea, you may hear the voices of Eric Feasterville, also known as Chris Blake Sasser. So grab your favorite beverage, sit back and enjoy these interviews from the beginning of the podcasting universe. In Season 2, we will be introducing new interviews to continue the legacy of This Is Some Scene. 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 I am your host, James Ippoliti. In this episode, I speak with Andy Weir, author of New York Times bestselling book, The Martian. His new book, Project Hail Mary, takes us on an interstellar tale of discovery, speculation, and survival. It is available wherever fine books are sold. I got mine at Barnes & Noble. I had a fantastic time speaking with Andy and geeking out on all things sci-fi. So if you would like to support this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribe so you're notified when I post new episodes. And being a newer podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would give this podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So let's get right to my conversation with Andy Weir. My guest today, known for his best-selling debut novel, The Martian, which became a best-selling blockbuster film as well. And now that film uh, holds a place in Hollywood's Saving Matt Damon collection. Uh, His second book, Artemis, took the reader on a futuristic space caper set on a city on the moon. Also a bestseller, and my favorite, Andy. And um, Although I still like The Martian, don't get me wrong. I just (laughs) really, really enjoyed your world building in Artemis. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. uh, Author Andy Weir takes us on an interstellar tale of discovery, speculation, and survival in his new novel, Project Hail Mary, available wherever fine books are sold. Hi. How you doing? Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. So I'm going to do a little icebreaker here, because I think we're around the same age. And I heard, I know that you were a computer programmer, and you started on a Commodore VIC-20? Uh,
1: well, I think technically I started on a Commodore PET, because of wow. school. the school I went to for like fifth grade had some that the students could play with. But the first computer I ever owned was a VIC-20.
0: Yeah, I had a VIC-20 as well, and I always felt like... Uh my parents didn't do me well because every all well, my friends had the 64 yeah or the 128 yeah and um so uh, what i want to ask you about is do you remember the um scott adams adventure games so he did one like pirates cove and they were just word games like where infocom style yeah you you're standing on a beach what do you want to do go north that type of thing i mean i remember those kinds of games i don't know
1: you know yes. I,
0: I don't remember pirates cove specifically all right so Having a background in programming and then also being a writer, have you ever considered writing a game? Oh, sure. I've done that in the
1: past. I've made my own little casual games and stuff and posted them online. I wrote one called Gug which stood for Grand Unified Game. And basically in that game, it was just sort of a platformer, but you had four characters that you controlled, mm-hmm. and you just hit tab to change which one you were controlling so you could freely cycle through. And and so there would be like, you know, you had to stand on this platform to open that door so one of your other guys could go through, All or, right. you know, stuff like that. And, um, but the since it was just a, a fun freeware game, the four characters were Mario, (laughs) Pac-Man, Dig Dug, and the Joust Guy. And so they had all of their powers and stuff like that. And all of their enemies would be in the mazes, too. There'd be, like, ghosts and Koopas and... Wow. Wow. And it was kind of neat figuring out the interactions that I just arbitrarily decided. Like, for instance, I decided that Dig Dug, Dig Dug, can blow up a Goomba, right? I mean, it's just like that mushroom thing. But That's he can right. I decided he can't blow up a Koopa because he's got a shell.
0: That's right. So Koopas
1: were immune to Dig Dug's pump. So you had to mm. use one of the other characters to deal with that. And and uh, Pac Man, of course, when he eats a power pellet, everything would get scared. Like wow. every, everything would turn blue and be scared, except the enemy Joust birds, um,
0: because they're <laughs> noble knight warriors. And so I decided they don't get scared. God, I love Joust. I miss the arcade. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, talk Project Hail Mary. Tell, uh, tell me what it's about, although I am halfway through, so no, no spoilers.
1: <laughs> OK? Well, um, the, the story is about a man who wakes up aboard a spaceship with total amnesia. Uh, over time, he comes to realize he's aboard a spaceship, and then as his memories start coming back to him, he realizes that he's on a last-ditch mission to save humanity from a, cin- a sixth extinction event. And uh, yeah, no pressure.
0: You know, so prior to this book, I mean, there's always chaos going on, but you had a a sort of the future is cool attitude and, and you know, there's most sci-fi is dystopian and it's this kind of, the future is scary. Yeah. Yeah. But do you feel that Project Hail, Hail Mary is a scary future because of this extinction event? Well, I mean, it would certainly be a very scary thing to
1: happen. But I think that, you know, my, my general kind of Pollyanna-style optimism about the future is really about human nature. I think that we're a pretty cool species and that we work together very well when we have a common problem. And this book is about that. Like, there's this existential threat facing everyone on Earth, and they work together pretty well to deal with it. Um, but also, I would say, specifically in Hail Mary, there is, it's not a huge spoiler, you find this out pretty much the first chapter, there is a, an alien, an extraterrestrial microbe, mm-hmm. uh, it's not intelligent, It just um, and it, it grows on the surface of stars, much like algae grows in the ocean, and it reproduces and it spores out to go um, colonize other stars and so on, and Um, there is this stuff ended up in our sun and there, it has bred out of control so much that now the luminance of the sun is actually going down because this, 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 uh, microbe called astrophage is, um, consuming so much of the solar energy that now it's actually a threat to earth because we're not getting as much sunlight. Um, and 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 so yes, that that would be a scary situation to have to live through. And Earth it um has it goes through some pretty unpleasant crap during the course right. of this novel. But you know what? It would be once they got past all that. Once they if they managed to survive it and get past all that, it would be a pretty bright future because astrophage is also basically the solution to all of our energy problems. It right. would be like so. If they're able to survive that initial problem, we're talking like. Pretty much
0: infinite clean energy from then on, like right. <laughs> so, is this based the astrophage based on something in the real world at all? Not at I mean,
1: all. I mean, well, it's a it's an alien life form, so obviously Right, <laughs> no, but I
0: mean, like, but, that kind of... Um, the idea that how it takes in and uh, is able to have that much... Harness that much energy and...
1: Uh, no, yeah, that's completely made up. Um, okay.
0: I, I mean, I based it's kind
1: of how it behaves, similar to mold, right? It, right. You know, it spores out in all directions and only, like, one out of every gajillion of them actually finds a place to to settle in and gather energy and breed, right? Um, but uh, as for the energy storage, it I came up with a, what I think is a pretty cool mechanism internally for how it, it, it stores energy. It actually stores it as mass. Um, so you get the E equals MC squared level of efficiency mm-hmm. on energy storage. So it's actually like... One little astrophage can store enough energy to propel itself through interstellar space into another star.
0: Right. I guess, and I, again, I haven't finished it, and if I don't think this would come up, but it could be weaponized, I would believe, in, in this world.
1: Sure. I mean, any time you have like massive concentrations of energy, you could easily weaponize it.
0: Right. Yeah. So um, going back to this optimistic view on the future and – You know, in this book, you have the people on these ships that are from different countries all collaborating to save the world. But what about like the recent, like I'm just saying in in the real world, we have the China rocket, right? Do you think this optimistic view of countries getting together to solve this problem in, in light of just what happened with this rocket? An astrophysicist, you know, kind of said recently about China that it was potentially hazardous corner cutting like do you see like possibly issues with this kind of space travel in the future with all these different countries having different views about Um, how things should get done um I mean not really it's it's no different in my opinion than the commercial
1: airline industry I mean in the early days of the airline of air travel was just the wild west. There was no regulation, right. no nothing, and there were crashes, you know. Yeah. But over time we started like implementing a bunch of rules and standards and now air travel is is as safe as it's safe it's the safest form of travel. And you take you take countries like China or something like that that maybe have a, a looser um a, a looser set of regulations and stuff. They still have to follow these stringent rules because Europe and the U.S. won't let them fly bad planes here. Like you, right. you can't you can't use aircraft in our airspace unless they meet our standards.
0: That's so right. you can
1: go ahead if you want to have domestic flights that are using dangerous planes that kill everybody. There's nothing we can do about that. But if you're going to come here, you got to follow our rules. And so it ends up lifting up the whole industry. And I think uh, space travel would be. Pretty much the same. Um, uh, it'll be like, okay, there's a space station, and it's flagged. I don't know. Let's say it's a let's say it's a British space station, mm-hmm. and then the British space station would be like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll take you know spaceships delivering people here from the U.S. and from Russia and stuff like that. But if you have some janky ass spaceship that's going to crash into our <laughs> station and blow it up, we're we're like, no, you cannot come here. You have to meet our standards if you want to dock with our station
0: yeah I don't know if you I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but uh when we were kids, Skylab was a big deal. I remember yes. it was this huge thing, and the sky is falling, and there was a big media push on this Does yeah. that differ from the china thing do you I think
1: mean, yeah yeah- yes, it differs. Skylab was bigger chunks um actually significant chunks made it to the surface of earth, but also back then it was the seventies. It was a different time. Hair was big. Disco was popular. No, (laughs) but, um, no, but seriously, they weren't nearly as good at, um, uh, predicting where things will come in and crash. Um, you know, so they didn't really know where Skylab was going to hit the ground. And it turned out it landed, I think, off the coast of Australia in the ocean. So it's like not a big deal. Right. But for the Chinese rocket, they they knew pretty well where it was going to go, and also that it is still mostly going to burn up. Right. So um, I I think the Chinese rocket was simultaneously less of a threat than Skylab, and also we are better at predicting the effects of something falling into our atmosphere now. That makes We've sense. Had Fifty
0: more years of space technology growth in that time. Right. So when I went to buy your book at Barnes & Noble, they had this thing that says, if you like science in your science fiction, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. Um, how? Where do you draw the line, though, with the science? Like, I know that Neil deGrasse Tyson reads your books, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does. So he's reading it. The The common person's reading it. Like, have you gotten to a place where you're writing this math in or you're writing this science and you're like, whoa, that's just, that's too crazy. Like, do you pull yourself back? Well,
1: okay, so – Uh, for the events that occur in the book, I I try very hard to stick to real science. Um, In explaining it, what's going on to the reader, I may take some shortcuts here and there or just not bother to explain everything. And I actually, I have to be very careful with that. I'm really interested in the science, but not necessarily everyone is. And so I try to explain to them just enough that they can understand the plot events that are occurring, but not I don't want to overwhelm them. And so that's kind of what I try to do. Exposition is always tricky. Um, so,
0: yeah, no, I, I enjoy it uh, the hell of a lot. And I think you do it really well. Thank you. Now, were you ever a fan of Michael Crichton? Sure. Because he's sort Show of along nerd the lines wasn't. of... not I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I love his books. And he also, to me, reminds me of the science in science fiction. Uh, a Somewhat, lot of
1: but stuff, he was a little more, I mean, I... I'm definitely not throwing shade at Michael Crichton, right? <laughs> but um, I think my my uh, stories are are much more. I, I put much more effort into being scientifically accurate. Yes. Um, but his were always based around, not always, but his were often based around a kernel of real science, like you know, Jurassic Park being the canonical example of like, hey, let's reverse engineer, you know, stuff like that. But he would also go off on these weird tangents where he'd be obsessed with. Oh, virtual reality, that's how things are going to work. Mm-hmm. It's all virtual reality. We used virtual reality to reconstruct the DNA. I'm like, what? Virtual yeah, would reality make, would make these jumps. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and Congo, we have these virtual reality gloves for the monkeys so they can talk. Right. I'm
0: like, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, do you see yourself, though, maybe attacking something like time travel, like he did in Timeline, or anything like that, and doing that science, the real science and things.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I would love to write it. Time travel specifically is one of my favorite um, uh, favorite uh, sci-fi things in the background of my office. Um, your listeners won't be yeah, able to I see, see it, Tardis. but you can see the TARDIS. And yep. just at the base of the TARDIS, field you closely, you'll see the DeLorean from DeLorean. Back to the Future. You know, what's funny is, like, I had it in mind to have a party at my house for Back to the Future Day on that date, you know, October mm-hmm. 2015, the day Marty McFly arrived in 2015, and right. I was going to invite all my friends over, and there was going to be a strict dress code. You have to dress in proper 2015 clothing, as depicted in Back to the Future 2. So you That's have great. to be wearing these pastel 1980s views of what the future would be, double ties. They, they had The men would wear two ties Like like side by side and did you ever buy
0: yourself a pair of those Nikes that they put out? I
1: never did, no. But I wanted people to dress up like that and I had it all planned out, but then like, you know, I I was thinking about it for years. But then like the Martian happened in twenty fifteen. The movie came out like literally a few days after the back to the future date, and I was just so busy. I was traveling around doing marketing stuff. It was a good problem to have, but I never got to have my (laughs) never got to have my back to the future party.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. Have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. I'm so serious. Super easy. Let me explain. First, it's free. There are creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast from your phone or your computer. Mostly I'd use the computer, but I just did the phone, and it was super easy. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And doing that yourself is a pain in the butt. So, so happy they do it for me. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need, all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get creative. Well, you know, it's interesting because there are, there is a moment in um, Ar- uh, not Artemis, uh, Project Hail Mary, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, and you, you totally explained it, but I was ahead of you because I'm thinking if he's traveling at this speed, and you bring up earlier that we have basically 30 years till you know, everything goes down, I'm like, how's he going to, and then you do bring up like that he would make it back in like 26 or something, or at least the little uh, the Beatles. Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, um, so, the
1: uh, yeah from Earth's point of view, the round trip to Tau Ceti has to be an absolute minimum of twenty four years because Tau Ceti is twelve light years away. Right. And um, Ryland's ship, the Hail Mary, is um, it gets up close to relativistic speeds when it's traveling. I mean, it gets up close to the speed of light when it's traveling, but it's still from Earth's point of view, it takes it about thirteen years to get there. And the Beatles come back in like even less time, but like somewhere between 12 and 13 years. Are you a Beatles fan? Yes, I am. I'm a huge All Beatles right. fan. Yes. All right. You Are bet. you excited
0: for that movie that's coming out? It's, Hell um, yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the. The. It, um, the uh, uh, Peter Jackson. Yes, Peter Jackson.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I saw an interview with him, or actually, it was an interview with Paul McCartney talking about a conversation he had with Peter Jackson. And Jackson watched something like thousands of hours of video, uh, largely from the Let It Be sessions. Right. But, um, and he was talking to Paul McCartney on the phone, and he said, like, yeah, I've been watching all this stuff and you know, seeing how you guys interacted. And McCartney said, like, yeah, I know, we were fighting a lot back then. And he's like, no, you guys, like 99% of the time, we're just joking around, having fun, and clearly really close friends. And so I think we're going to see a much more positive uh, depiction of the Beatles and their interactions than we saw in the Let It Be documentary. Yeah, from the- I
0: mean, because you know that that got canned quick. It's it was on VHS and never again. And I, I'm always like at a thrift store looking for the VHS copy. I know I could. Well, probably I mean, buy you it, can, but it's
1: on YouTube. I mean, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, I know. I watched <laughs> it, but I just yeah. like to have it as like a little. You, know, you can see I throw stuff everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's like. cool. Uh, so, side note.
1: Sorry. Yeah, no worry for the tangent. Um, did you happen to see um, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old? The uh, World War One documentary yes. that he made, yes, that Jackson
0: did it. It was amazing. I went to the theater to see it. Yeah. Frame
1: interpolation and slowing it down to the real, to the correct frame rate, and then even colorizing it, it just looks like these pictures were taken today. And He's they amazing. also added in um, voice actors who spoke with the correct accents for which part of Britain each person was from, and it's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, he does. I mean, one of my favorite things he did was uh, if you have the DVD of Kong. Uh, the okay. King Kong that he did the spider sequence that was like a lost um deleted scene from the original King Kong and he recreated it and it 's on like the extras on the d v d and Peter Jackson just amazing what he did yeah so, that 's pretty cool, yeah. Um, anyway. All right, let's let's uh, go back to Project Hail Mary and oh, that this actually, yeah, <laughs> that uh, yeah. So are yeah, you going to like say the author of The Martian and that other book and <laughs> yeah, and uh, another book? Yeah,
1: the other, A- Andy Weir who wrote The Martian and Hail Mary and some other book. Which I, I, I guess Artemis. is your favorite. That's interesting. I love you, Artemis. You are in the minority,
0: but thank you. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> no, I mean I actually read it a few times because I oh, cool. want to live there. I really. <laughs> That's what I was shooting for. I wanted to
1: make a setting that was cool, but I guess I made a protagonist that was obnoxious. So I people didn't have a, have a problem. Time.
0: Now. Um, this is my next question. I think I'll, bring, I'll bring this up. First, when you're writing, do you ever have an actor in mind? I know you didn't know Matt Damon would be playing, you know, but now that he, you've done that, do you think that way when you're writing the character? No. I try not to think about the film at all
1: um, when I'm writing a book. Uh, I always tell, you know, authors who want advice from me, I always tell them, like – if you want to write a movie, write a movie. Write a screenplay. Go ahead. Right. But don't write a book with the idea that it'll someday be a movie. That's a backwards way of doing things. If you're writing a book, write a book. If you constrain yourself to things that'll work well in a movie, then you're putting artificial constraints on yourself um, that uh, that will reduce the quality of your book. I don't know how far you are into Hail Mary, but there's, um, there's
0: a, a, a situation where Ryland needs to kind of decode some musical notes. Um, just about there because he's literally. I just finished chapter. I'm um, either ten or eleven. But he, okay. um, he is communicating, and um, yeah. yeah, he's taking his nap. He's taking his two. Oh, nap okay. Until two go. o'clock. There, there we go. go. Yeah.
1: Well, that whole uh, as that progresses, you you will see if if you imagine in your mind, it's it's it will be very difficult to show that stuff in a film. So they're going to have to do something yeah. else. Um. And it's stuff that's really easy to do in a book, um but yeah so um, yeah. yeah i didn't i I never put effort into making it easy for a film adaptation
0: <laughs> yeah, you know it's interesting i uh, obviously I'm a musician, I have all this stuff, and so when you brought up that it's like um chords. Mm-hmm. I could hear that in my head, like it was really a really cool way to create a voice for that character. I will say, <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: um. <laughs> so, somebody said uh, something like, uh, "Oh, yeah." I was interviewed by somebody whose wife is a professional musician, and she also enjoyed the book. And um, she had provided uh, like a, a sound sample for him that she played. Of according to the book, this is you know oh. that language's <laughs> word for the thing is like you know and that's i'm like funny. okay there we go <laughs> that's great
0: now do you have any say in who is the voice on like the um audible books or the um, audio books
1: uh i had some say but i didn't flex you know they know what they're doing so i like to stay out of the way of the professionals and uh they picked ray porter and that right was real good He, he yeah, does a fantastic side. job Yeah dark side Exactly
0: Yeah uh, and, and you know You've had amazing luck With those voice actors Because Will Wheaton Does The Martian
1: Well and right? before him R.C. Bray did The Martian Right
0: And he was fantastic also And then Rosario Dawson as Jazz Which, yep. which I'm very awesome. happy with That's yeah. great too Yeah um, I, I was I always Would picture her now As Jazz When I'm like Sure you know, I'm looking thinking forward to uh, Seeing more of her As Ashoka Oh my God, that was so good. That was such good casting. That That was great casting. And on top of that, that was the whole like um, that samurai episode. Yeah, that whole episode was a samurai movie. Yeah, it was so. I love how they did that. Like they went back to what Lucas inspired, what inspired Star Wars. Like they have a whole Western episode, they have an entire samurai episode.
1: Most of of it is Western episodes, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I love that. The Mandalorian, I thought they did an amazing job with it. Yeah. And um, Would you ever, like if they asked you to write a Star Wars thing, would you do that? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you kidding me? Of
0: course I would. <laughs> I'd
1: love to. I don't need to write just hard sci-fi. I'll write some space opera. That's no right. No problem.
0: <laughs> How cool would that be?
1: <laughs> It'd be awesome. It'd be great. Hey, John Favreau. Give me yeah, right. give, give me a Mando episode. I'll do it. I'll do That's it. That's right. Just, I'll do whatever you want. Agent. Tell it. your agent. Yeah, tell them, tell them to get you up there. Well, that would be know, fun. As you can tell from the TARDIS in the background, I'm a Doctor yep. Who fan. Right. And um, I have, no joke, I have um, <clears throat> repeatedly approached BBC and Chris Chibnall directly to ask if I can write a Doctor Who episode. I said, I'll write it for free. I'll, I'll, yeah. The topic can be, the bad guys can be whatever you want. I just want to write one. And, you know, they, they uh, haven't gotten back to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful.
0: I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, keep pushing, man. Keep I'm pushing. pushing. Yeah, every season. And you know, who's your favorite doctor?
1: Uh, the fifth doctor peter davison um, Okay. and i think that's probably i mean he's he's the doctor to me because he was the doctor when i first started watching back when i was 12
0: right Yeah, tom baker was my doctor when i, I right. like when i was a kid i remember just like that's the one that, that sticks h- out in my most, mind
1: most people have that i think people tend to imprint on their first doctor right <laughs> and and so for me it was peter davison that's funny. And so he's the doctor to me and everyone else is like you know um, people who came before or after, but Peter Davison is the doctor. Yeah, uh, but running a very close second is David Tennant.
0: I, I mean, was gonna say he's yeah. Fantastic. I mean, he is amazing. Who was after Tennant?
1: Uh Matt Smith.
0: Matt Smith. <laughs> yep, that's he did who a good I job met. too. Yeah, my my kids. Jody Matt Whitaker. <laughs> Smith, yep, yep. Matt Smith is my children's favorite doctor. So when we went did to they the convention, on and, him? yep. Yeah, yep. we met them. We met him. He was really kind. He was a really nice guy.
1: Yeah, I met him at um comic-con one year and it was actually before the martian had come out i was just you know some nerd i wasn't like (laughs) i wasn't a guest or anything i was just an attendee and um uh, i met him there just a cool matt smith story they had screwed up the time of a autograph he had two autograph sessions planned and they'd screwed one of them up they told everybody one time and they told him a different time so everybody lined up for autographs hours in advance, and wow. he wasn't there because he hadn't even flown in yet. Like, wow, he was coming when they told him to come, and <laughs> he wasn't even there yet. And so when he got there and found out that one of the two sessions was missed, he said, "All right, well." And they gave everybody in the session they gave them um, like cards that said, "You're you know good for an autograph," and they right. warned everybody. They said, "Hey." you know, we've only got Matt for like two hours, and we were expecting two two-hour autograph sessions. So we're just going to have to go first come, first serve. And so everybody just line up, you know, and take your best shot. And Matt Smith stayed for every single person. He wow, stayed that's there. awesome. He was only sp- He was supposed to be there for two hours. He stayed for something like four and a half hours. Wow. His voice was hoarse and raspy and you know, he was at the end, but he he stuck it out because he's a professional. You know, it was that was above and beyond. So,
0: yeah, that's it was amazing. very cool. I have here that the Martian kind of was like Apollo 13 inspired. You, is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And then Chinatown was your inspiration, which is amazing uh, for Artemis. Which yeah. is probably I love Chinatown. So it's, that is also probably why I like Artemis so much. It's the story whole- of a city. Yeah. The city
1: is a character, you know?
0: Yeah, it is. A, yeah, it's a great character. And uh, I love that Nicholson has that, you know, thing on his nose. The <laughs> yes. whole time. It's
1: just so good. Um, so... If I can't bring the water to Los Angeles, <laughs> I'll bring Los
0: Angeles <laughs> to the water. Good stuff. <laughs> so, with... I know that sort of Project Hail Mary start began, like, maybe as a Frankenstein project of grabbing pieces from different <laughs> places? Um, yep. um,
1: as I tell people, it is a project that began in the junkyard of my mind. Um, I, and I assume pretty much every author everywhere, has, like, basically a, a brain full of, like, semi-discarded book ideas. Like, this is an interesting idea, but it's not good enough to be a book. Or this mm-hmm. is an interesting idea, but it, it at best could be a subplot and so on. And I finally I guess I had enough of them that I was able to pick up several of them and glue them together and it turned into Project Hail Mary, which looks like this smooth streamlined story where everything Absolutely. logically flows from one to another. But there's a lot of spackle in those scenes, trust me. <laughs> it took me a lot of work to adjust each idea so that they would fit together, but I'm really You're glad the only one pencil. seeing those. You're the only <laughs> yeah. one seeing that. <laughs> well, thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it is really smooth. Did you design the ship? Yes, I did the picture yeah. in the
1: front of the book. I did that. Yeah. I made that very impressive.
0: Yeah. You write these uh, scientifically accurate books. Do you watch films and get pissed when you see like something's <laughs> not correct?
1: <laughs> no, actually, not at all. I get asked that a lot. I can I can happily enjoy a movie that has like tons of violations of physics. I have no problem <laughs> with it at all. I like fantasy stories. And, you know, it's weird. Like people, in terms of suspension of disbelief, if you just say it's magic, everyone accepts it. That's right. But if you say, it's science, people are like, what science? Why? Why? Where? But I don't have a problem with it. Like, Star Trek or Star Wars or Doctor Who, my favorite. Right. Um, these are all, like, space operas. I mean, the, the science is, like, the, the basic premises are impossible. Like, you can't go faster than light. But in Star Trek, Star Wars, and Doctor Who, you, you do that all the time. So I don't mind that at all. But one thing I really do need is consistency. So you can right. make up whatever fake physics you want, but I want it to be applied... Consistently throughout the story, like I don't want to be asking a bunch of questions like well, why don't you just you know <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like so for instance, I mean transporters there are so many different questions I have about transporters, and I think everybody has questions about transporters it's like I mean due to various episodes where there are transporter accidents that cause <laughs> weird things to happen. You're like, wait a minute, a transporter can duplicate a human being? Like, that's a pretty big deal, right? Right. Can we just, like, do that on purpose? Can we say, like, hey, this is the greatest scientist in the world. We're going to make 50 of this person and have them work on some of our problems.
0: Yeah, but doesn't it, like, duplicate them and make them, like, evil and they get a goatee?
1: Sometimes. Well, no, that's – yeah, this transporter also pulls things in from parallel dimensions, which is fun. But, no um, (laughs) – They did. They, they'll sometimes they'll they'll split. They split Kirk into like is mm-hmm. good Kirk and evil Kirk, and then right. also I think there've been times when they merged somebody like Tuvok and Neelix got merged into yeah. a single entity and stuff like that. I'm like, this seems like there's a lot of stuff you could do here that you're not really capitalizing on. <laughs> also, I mean, can you just? You know, can you dematerialize me, get rid of all of the virus that's attacking me, and then rematerialize me without the virus? Without
0: it, it, right. It's like what, uh, I mean... Yeah, you can't think too hard. Right. It'll start hurting.
1: Yeah, but that's what I do think that hard. And so it's like, (laughs) you make up whatever science you want, but I'm going to be thinking about the ramifications of it. One thing that always bugged me, even as a little wee nerdlet back when I was a child, um, in Dungeons and Dragons, which I used to play... um, uh, you know, one of the spells that you could cast as a cleric was create food, right? Mm. And it's just not that big a deal for the game. It's like, okay, you don't have to bring rations with you on a quest if you have a cleric, okay. But I'm like, well, hold on a minute. All you have to do to become a cleric, like a, like a first or second level cleric can cast create food. So all you have to do to mm-hmm. become a cleric is like a few years of training, and now you're channeling the divine power of gods <laughs> to make food, right? And I'm like, so why is there agriculture, why That's can't right. people just be cranking out food? <laughs> just like <laughs> Yay.
0: Yeah, hey, just have your child grow up and be a cleric and you'll never have to, you know, go to the supermarket. Or just, not
1: only that, or just there's a company. Yeah, we employ clerics yeah, We just make food. And That's right. we can do that. It's a lot easier than farming it.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the, like do you watch like the movie Cocktails with Tom Cruise? Because I know you love cocktails, and do you I, yell I do at the love screen?
1: Uh, I do love cocktails. Uh, cocktail. The movie was basically <laughs> them making kind of. I mean, it, it was really more about the showmanship of the of being a bartender, throwing stuff around. Yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff. The actual cocktails they make are just these kind of crappy drinks that you know, kind of tourist drinks and stuff like do that. Do you
0: when you make your cocktails? Do you do those fancy moves?
1: <laughs> no. No. No, I pour things into measuring cups, and it's not exciting to watch me mix a cocktail. Oh. See, <laughs> so yeah, I had sorry. this whole
0: image. Yeah, sorry to disappoint. That's all right. Uh, I also read that you had a fear of flying, but you have I flown do. since. You Lots still have times. a fear of flying.
1: I still have a very significant fear of flying. In fact, I have an overall uh, problem with anxiety. Like I have general anxiety disorder. Um, I do too. Yeah. Oh, sorry to you hear know that.
0: That's okay. I. Um,
1: so I. Um, uh, flying is a specific phobia of mine And uh, I deal with it with uh, Valium Basically My yeah. doctor uh, kept giving me stronger and stronger things And none of them would work Like I could be on as You can give me as much Xanax as you want I'm still absolutely terrified if I try to get on a plane But Valium, hmm, goodbye, yeah. I don't care And so she finally gave up and said Fine, here, have Valium And that that works
0: So if NASA came to you and said Hey, we want to send you up to, the no?
1: No, no way no way. I am an earthbound misfit. I will stay down here. I write about brave people. I'm not one of them.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I pictured they were going to invite you to the space station and, you know, you're going to uh, go up. And nope.
1: Nope. I, no. I, uh, if, they, if they did, I would say, uh, you know, I'm super grateful for the invitation. Uh, but it would be better, better suited for, for people out there who would literally die to go into space. I mean, why don't you get one of those excited, enthusiastic people?
0: Uh, who would you say is the most creative person you know? Um, well, I know a lot of people. <laughs> ah, boy.
1: That's a tough one. I mean, probably George R.R. R. Martin, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah? Him. Yeah. He's
0: yeah. very creative. He's absolutely creative. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Does he give you advice? Does he ever say anything yeah. that you...
1: I, I, I In the early days like uh, of The Martian, I was... Um, I mean, after that happened, we did an event together, and um, he's just this really nice guy. And I, I I was like, man, I got a lot of questions about, <laughs> you know, how do you follow up a huge hit and right. stuff like that. And he gave me a lot of good advice. That's great. Like, one thing I said was, like, man, I've got this imposter syndrome. Even though I've got this big book under my belt that everyone liked, I mean, like, I'm, I'm really nervous that my next one's going to suck. And he's like, yeah, that never goes away.
0: <laughs>
1: just so you know. You'll be working on your twenty-fifth book or something like that, and you'll be like, "This is the one where everyone realizes I'm a hack."
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love what you're doing. I think your stuff is great, and uh, really looking forward to whatever you're. Do you have anything coming up in any area?
1: Um, Well, I mean, we're uh, we're trying to get going on the film version of Project Hail Mary, and I'm a producer on that one, so that's awesome. That's pretty cool. I'm um, I'm always involved in a bunch of like uh, secondary projects, like. TV show pitches or streaming show pitches and stuff like that. But so far, exactly zero of them have been picked up, right? So uh, who knows how that will go. And then um, I am starting to work on my next novel, but I, I don't talk about right. a novel until I'm sure it's going to be the one that I publish. And I've gotten pretty far into books and then abandoned the idea because it sucked, you know,
0: yeah, in the past. Well. I guess that's the business of it. How do you keep going? Uh, like when you get up and you get, start writing, is do you have a, a routine?
1: Um, yeah, when I'm working on a first draft, um, I'll generally uh, I'll deal with work related emails and fan mail and stuff like that in the morning. Generally, I start writing after lunch, and then I'll I'll try to do a thousand words a day. I All set right. myself that, and until I've made my words, as I call it. I, I'm not allowed to watch like YouTube. I'm not allowed to go to any of my favorite websites. Not allowed to watch TV. Not allowed to do woodworking, which is my you know my hobby.
0: I, so, <laughs> I tried that. I'm no, uh, uh, I know the machines terrify me.
1: Oh, uh, the woodworking! Yeah, yeah, no, it took me it took me a while to not be terrified of the table saw. Right. But uh, you know. You do it a bunch of times. You're super careful, and then after a while, you build up confidence, but don't get too confident. And yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow.
1: One one bit of advice I, I you know for people who are starting out is like w- when you turn off the table saw, do nothing until it completely comes to rest. Then go about your other business. Because a table saw that has almost stopped running will almost leave your fingers attached. Oh, my God. <laughs> right?
0: I know. That, that's, those are my, my fears. Uh.
1: Hey, just so be look. careful. Use, I never have any part of my body within about a foot of the blade. Like, I use pusher sticks and... Yeah. Uh, I don't what do you to... make?
0: What do you make? Furniture?
1: Uh, furniture. I do make furniture. And also, I'm really into clockwork lately. So I've been working on various mad science clockwork things.
0: Oh, man. It's like uh steampunkish kind of. Yeah,
1: a little bit. And um, I have a laser cutter uh, in the background of my office here. And that's good for making the gears and stuff.
0: Andy, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And if you have anything come up, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk about it with you.
1: Sure thing. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, Andy. Take care.
1: You too.